Okay, let's do it. Whenever you're ready. Hey everybody, I'm Kai Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for everyone for joining us this Thursday, October the 26th. This being a Thursday, we're doing audio clips today, news and uh, happenings of the past five days. Here is number one. We told Ford to pony up, and they did. We won things nobody thought was possible. Since the strike began... Ford put 50% more on the table than when we walked out. This agreement sets us on a new path to make things right at Ford, at the big three, and across the auto industry. So that's uh, Sean Fain, the head of United Auto Workers, announcing the agreement late uh, yesterday, Wednesday evening, East Coast time, uh, late afternoon here on the Best Coast. Uh, huh. About their agreement with Ford. Sorry, had to. Uh, I don't it's, usually. It's okay. I don't usually, but but I had to. Yeah, that's uh, anyway, so give it to you. That, that's right. <laughs> Ford has made a deal with UAW, or UAW has made a deal with Ford. I think it's interesting in a couple of respects. Number one, this now amplifies the pressure on Stellantis and um, uh, General Motors, which it'll be interesting to see how much longer the strike overall lasts. Number two, there were some things for all that Fain did get. In this agreement, right? He got 25% uh, pay increases, uh, cost of living adjustments are back, a ratification bonus uh, for the workers, lots of good stuff for the workers. The thing he didn't get, which I know they'd been fighting for and which will be the future of the, of the car industry, is they didn't get EV battery manufacturing plants under the union umbrella in this deal. And I think that could turn out to be something. But but overall, look, I mean, General Motors said the other day, sorry, I got to open the door for Willow because she doesn't show up until we're freaking three minutes into this podcast. Um, uh, GM said the other day it's losing $200 million a week on this strike. And that is just not sustainable for a company. Uh, and so uh, they, Ford, realized, look, we got to we gotta settle. We have made a bunch of money. We're going to get part of it back. And now they've got a deal. All right, all done, puppy. Jesus. Sorry. Anyway, there we go. Everybody's doing their jobs today. Um, no, I mean, um, I, I really do think that your point about what this means for the other automakers will, you know, be key because then it's like, is this the baseline or is this the best, mm -hmm. right, of what mm -hmm. comes next? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, this next clip is actually from January of 2022, which I know hmm. was forever ago, but it is relevant to what is going on in Congress. And I heard it on the Congressional Dish podcast, which is hosted by Jennifer Briney. And so I'll play it, play it and then we can talk about why it matters. The six longest CRs in the history of the Defense Department have all occurred in this last 12-year period. We have turned a 12-month fiscal year into an eight-month fiscal year in terms of our ability to initiate new starts and enter contracts. This should be unacceptable and not the new normal. It's hard to see this full impact because, or, or in the inefficiency from looking from outside because the organization has, of course, adapted to its circumstances, just as organisms do. Nobody plans to enter into contracts in the first quarter of a fiscal year now because the odds that we would actually be able to do so are so low. Right. So this mm -hmm. is something that I'd been wondering for a while, and I wasn't sure if it was true. And then I heard it on the podcast, and and now and it, we checked it on C-SPAN. It is true. Um, the fact that we cannot pass budgets on time, the fact that we cannot pass spending on time, 
is shifting the way our government works in lots of different ways. And sure, we talk about how the agencies get ready for a shutdown and all the money they have to spend on a shutdown. And we talk about, you know, the politicking about it and all the legislation that doesn't get passed because, you know, they're trying to avoid a shutdown and everything else. But think about that, just the realm of military contractors and the fact that, and I'm sure it's beyond the military, that -hmm. people literally don't even plan to have contracts that will need anything done to them basically this time of year because they don't think it's going to actually happen. And what that does to how much we have to spend on contracts, what that does to pricing, what that does for negotiations, that's a mess. That's all. Well, it's an appalling abdication of responsibility and, and uh, obligation, full stop. Yes, and I'm sure. sorry, I don't know if I said it, but that was Undersecretary of Defense Mike McCord testifying to the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Defense back in January of 2022. There you go. There you go. Uh, okay. Next one. Back in 1965, the CEO to typical worker pay ratio was just 20 to 1. In 1989, it was 58 to 1. And some reports now put it around 325 to 1. But we're also seeing ratios that far exceed that. You know, in one of the most extreme examples we pointed out at Fast Company, Live Nation's ratio is 5,414 to 1. Um, And then I think Mm. now people are really starting to question that. Bob Iger at Disney, 500 to 1, speaking about uh, CEOs to regular workers, uh, pay salaries. That was Kristen uh, Toussaint from Fast Company about a whole series they did on CEO pay, how it has gotten uh, where it is. And it's, you know, just to get back to that first piece of tape we played, it was a huge thing in the early-ish days of the UAW strike where Sean Fain and his uh, lieutenants rightly pointed out that the CEOs of the big three car companies are making tens of millions of dollars, have gotten multi-million dollar raises over the past uh, number of years. And, oh, by the way, that's uh, just not conducive to good employee morale and productivity and justice. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a not small deal. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens as, um, number one, Stellantis and GM go, but also the um, SAG after strike is still going on. And so there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I wonder anyway. when, and this came up a little bit in that interview that you did about when shareholders start making these CEOs mm-hmm. make less, you know, because mm-hmm. their boards and their shareholders are the ones who get to decide, you know what? No, if, if since you made this deal with the unions that to pay them right. more, that's coming out of your paycheck. <laughs> is that right. going to happen? Right. Or is right. it going to be they like, have, they have you tried. did the best you could. Here's another couple million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Uh, one more clip before we go. Mm-hmm. One really big thing that's going to impact most people in the U.S. Uh, in their tax situation um, is going to be the tax cliff at the end of 2025, where basically the 2017 tax law changed um, a lot of individual policies, including the, the tax rates and brackets. Most of that, um, nearly all of it on the individual side, unwinds all at once at the end of 2025. And so that's going to set up um, a big um, uh, discussion and debate, especially depending on the, the control of Congress and the White House post-2024 on where to take the tax code moving forward for individuals. 
control of Congress and the White House mm-hmm. in 2024. This is my very roundabout entryway into the discussion of the new House Speaker because there is so much to do in Congress. Like, there is always a lot to do, but there's some really big stuff coming down the pipeline. I know we've talked about, you know, we're coming up against a government funding deadline. I know we've talked about, you know, the um, <laughs> the fact that um, the Farm Bill has not been addressed and mm-hmm. many other things. Mm-hmm. But this was um, Garrett Watson, a senior policy analyst at the Tax Foundation. And while I was doing some reporting on the budget deficit this week, specifically about why we talk so much about the spending side of things and not so much the revenue side, he dropped this little piece of information. And I was like, come again? <laughs> and he said, mm-hmm. in 2025, at the end of 2025, Something like 23 of the provisions from the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act related to individual income taxes will expire, meaning most taxpayers will see a tax hike unless some or all of those provisions are extended. So we are talking about um, the 2024 election, whatever Congress ends up in place after the 2024 election, one of their first things that they'll have to do is, A, figure out what to do about the debt ceiling, because that'll be up again. Uh, Number two, um, they'll have to figure out, wait, is the debt ceiling in 2024 or 2025? I don't know. I was just going to Google that. It's 2024, I think. You keep going. So skip it. it. Anyway, in 2025, they are going to have to figure out what to do about taxes. It's far away. I get it. And it's a probably something that will get extended and, and it'll be a big fight. But just it's another reminder that who's in those seats matters mm-hmm. in terms of it's not just politicking. And so that was my roundabout way of saying, hey, this is something I didn't know was coming, but it is. And it's really going to matter who's making those decisions when that time comes. So. For sure. So debt limit, uh, debt limit is waived until uh, January twenty, January one, twenty twenty five. So there's that. It's right okay, on the cusp so of twenty twenty five. Here, here's the other thing though about um, uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was of course the two thousand seventeen Trump administration one point seven trillion dollars over ten years uh, uh, tax cut that went mostly to corporations and rich individuals. Mm-hmm. Lots of conversation about budget deficits and about shrinking Mm -hmm. government and cutting spending. It Mm -hmm. is amazing to me, and look, I understand the political realities and I'm not being naive here, but it's amazing to me that we're only talking about one side of the budget deficit equation, which is to say cutting spending. Government has in its capacity the ability to raise revenue, but that is Mm -hmm. not at all on the table. It's really remarkable. So there was an episode of, of uh, The Daily the other day, and we all know how I feel about The Daily, but every now and then it's really good. Jim Tankersley um, had a really good explanation of this particular um, uh, petard that Congress gets itself stuck on, which is that it only talks about um, cutting spending, and that's mm-hmm. mostly Republicans. But Tankersley points out that even if Democrats were going to talk about um, – raising taxes, Democrats would want to spend that money not on reducing the deficit and debt, but on new social programs to help the poor and uh, children's health and schools and all that stuff, which, you know, fine, we can have that debate. But the amazing part is that even Democrats would not want to put it toward deficit reduction. Um, And I just, it's amazing that we're not able to have those conversations. I just, it's a failing. 
You, can't talk you know, um, while you were out the other day and Amy was hosting, we actually did that story. So we did. Oh, it too. well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> no, well, as we all know, I don't like, listen. Wait. I don't listen when I'm out. But you know. well, and I'm so proud of you. Actually, as I was listening to you talk, I was like, "Good for you, Kai. Good for you for just like taking your for time away as attention. time away." You betcha. There you go. <laughs> yes, I'm very there proud you of you for all that. Right. Um, but yes, but you're right. I mean, I. I was having the same thought. I, don't, I wonder if it was the same day that he was running that, that you listened to the daily. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's like there's this whole other side of it. And, you yeah. know, the the cognitive dissonance is amazing because people are like, we need to cut spending. We need to cut spending. Well, if you want it to actually matter, then what you're talking about is cutting Social Security and Medicare. That's what you want to exactly. do? Exactly. You want to cut defense? And, right, right. Because right. that, that's, and, and that's you, what it yes. means. Totally. And and you, Republican congressman who wants to do that, Republican congressperson, rather, excuse me, who wants to do that, go back to your district and tell all the seniors that, sorry, Social Security's over with, and tell all the people who work at the at the Boeing plant or the, you know, Raytheon plant, mm-hmm. sorry, this plant's going to get shut down, right? How do you think that's going to go over? I just, I don't think people are concentrating on that stuff, you know? And if there's no appetite to cut spending, then do we have to increase our appetite to grow revenue? I mean, maybe we right. get a federal weed tax, and that'll probably close mm-hmm. a big hole right there. Um, but this mm-hmm. is also related to there's a Supreme Court um, case coming up this term about um, taxes taxes on um, I believe it's on capital gains from like companies owned companies outside the United States. It's a weird international mm. tax thing, but the way that it's being interpreted could just decimate tax revenues. Hmm. Even the sort of rightish leaning tax foundation put an op-ed out and they were just like, if this happens, this is going to be a multi tens of billions of dollars hit to revenues. Like it's a big deal. So yeah, revenues. That's that's the story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to, yeah. We're, we're going to go out on that one. Back tomorrow uh, for Economics on Tap. The YouTube live stream starts at 3.30 uh, Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. We'll do some news, uh, some drinks, and a game. Yes, and we love hearing from you. So if you have a story you'd like to share, even if it's something super wonky like tax revenues, we love it anyway. Uh, or something else way more fun, hopefully. Uh, you have a comment, question, suggestion. Our email is makemesmart at marketplace.org, or you can leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART. Ah, J.C. Bold. <laughs> Today's episode of Make Me Smart was produced by Courtney Berg, secret with assistance from H. Conley, audio engineering by J.C. Bold. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our interns, Neil Farsha Bandy. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. 
Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.